Memphis Media Networks. This is America's First News. This morning with your host, Gordon Deal. Go South. Good morning, I'm Gordon Deal, along with Jennifer Koshenka. On this Friday, October 13th, Gledge could be with us. Here's what we have for you this hour. Ahead of a possible ground invasion, the Israeli military is telling civilians in North Gaza to relocate immediately to the southern part of the enclave. Louisiana Congressman Steve Scalise has dropped his bid to become House Speaker after failing to secure enough support from fellow Republicans. In addition to corruption charges, New Jersey Senator Bob Menendez is now facing allegations of conspiring to act as an agent of Egypt. And what you're facing if you have plans to visit Paris during the Olympics next summer. Hotels in the city that are as high as $1,000 a night. Uh, the travelers can also find some less expensive lodging. Some is averaging around $500 to $600 per night. So it, it definitely benefits you to kind of look around. Nathan Diller at USA Today on a strategy for the Paris Olympics and what to know about the city's bed bug problem. Now is time for war. Those are the words of Israeli Defense Minister Yoav Gallant as Israel's military earlier today called on civilians in Gaza City to relocate south within 24 hours. Israel is amassing tanks nearby ahead of an expected ground invasion after a devastating attack by Hamas terrorists last weekend. It also warned citizens to distance themselves from Hamas militants to avoid being used as human shields. Admiral Daniel Hagari of the Israeli military. We are now in a war zone. We are now looking for all the terrorists that now hide. They don't want to go out and fight. They want to hide and keep on killing civilians. The United Nations called for Israel to rescind the order, saying it could transform an already tragic situation into a catastrophe. A Hamas official said the Gaza relocation warning was, quote, fake propaganda and urged citizens not to fall for it. Meanwhile, Israel's military says it plans to capture or kill all of Hamas's leaders, destroy the group's militant units, and make it impossible for the group to govern Gaza. Reports say the U.S. and Qatar have agreed to deny Iran access to $6 billion in oil proceeds that Washington had previously freed up as part of a prisoner swap breach last month. The Wall Street Journal says the decision with Qatar, whose government is overseeing Iran's access to the funds, comes amid concern for Tehran's long-running provision of money, arms, and intelligence to Hamas. Secretary of State Antony Blinken in Israel. We haven't seen direct evidence that Iran participated in uh, or helped plan the attack. That doesn't mean that it didn't. We just don't have the evidence uh, to show it. Biden administration officials have repeatedly said Iranians haven't actually used any of the money yet. The assets, the proceeds of oil sales to South Korea, were frozen as part of a sanctions program the U.S. levied against Iran after the Trump administration withdrew from an international deal limiting Iran's nuclear program. As part of the prisoner swap, the U.S. last month agreed to release that's $6 billion in Iranian funds for humanitarian use only. Well, he won the battle, but lost the war, so to speak. Louisiana Congressman Steve Scalise, who Republicans picked to be the next House Speaker, has now quit the race after finding himself short of the 217 votes needed to be elected by the full House. Several of his fellow Republicans said they would not support him. After failing to resolve its divisions, Republicans sent the chamber into its 10th day without leadership. Reaction from Mr. Scalise. This House of Representatives needs a speaker and we need to open up the House again. But clearly, not everybody is there. And there's still schisms 
that have to get resolved. Republicans concluded a meeting last night without coming to an agreement on who would be their nominee. They will meet again at 10 this morning. Republicans had hoped to avoid a repeat of the spectacle that occurred in January when hardline conservatives forced Kevin McCarthy of California to endure 15 floor votes over four days before winning the gavel. He only held it for nine months before being ousted a week and a half ago. Bring smiles to all when shopping online with Dell Technologies Gift Guide. Whether it's for the artist, the entrepreneur, the student, or the streamer, you'll find the perfect gift. Dell.com slash gift guide makes gifting easy with a carefully curated selection. Shop now to explore our innovative PCs like the XPS 13 laptop, powered by the latest Intel Core processors plus accessories. Visit Dell.com slash gift guide today. That's Dell.com slash gift guide. Thanks for spending time with us. The worst fighting in Israel in a quarter century has many worried that the clash with Hamas could spiral far beyond Gaza and trigger a war that draws in regional and even global powers, including the U.S., China and Russia. After all, China has only called for de-escalation. It has not condemned Hamas's attack. Here's Guy Taylor, national security team leader at The Washington Times. Guy, what are you hearing? All right. Well, first of all, Gordon, we definitely want to be careful here about fear mongering. Uh, that being said, I'm having conversations with national security folks here in Washington and in the Mideast. And there's a lot of behind the scenes concern right now about where this current clash might lead. How real is the prospect for a direct Israel-Iran war? And uh, if there is a major escalation, what might it look like? Could there be a chain reaction situation here in which Russia and China are aligned behind Iran against Israel, the U.S., and a range of Western allies, perhaps NATO? Turkey is, of course, a wild card there. And, of course, there's a doomsday notion that China might suddenly decide that the moment of Mideast chaos and the Russia-Ukraine chaos is right to move on Taiwan. Something like that could find us over the coming months in a, a situation where you've got a hot war in Europe, a hot war in the Mideast, uh, and potentially a hot war in East Asia, and hence the reference to a World Jeez. War Three dynamic. Right. It's a kind of world war in a multipolar world where you've got multiple conflicts going in vastly different regions that are not necessarily directly linked, but are uh, fomenting or cementing a kind of new great power alignment. Again, though, I want to reiterate that these are worst case scenario fears, but they're being discussed behind the scenes in mm -hmm. Washington, Beijing, Moscow, Tehran, Jerusalem, and so on. We're speaking with Guy Taylor, national security team leader at The Washington Times. He's written a piece called Israel Hamas Clash sparks fears of World War-style escalation. Somebody referenced in your story that for Israel, what's important now is the order of battle, meaning what, Guy? Yeah, so that's John uh, Shanzer at the Foundation for Defense of Democracies. I, I think right now we have this clash between Israel and Hamas, and there are signs that Israel actually very much does not want to get into a multi-front war with Iran-backed Hezbollah up to the north in Lebanon or with Iran directly, while Israeli forces are focused on Gaza. We can see signals that the U.S. also does not want that multi-front phenomena. Russia probably also doesn't want it. Turkey probably also doesn't, although it's unclear whether Iran wants it. So there's a huge amount of uncertainty about that. Also, 
Gordon, Russia may tolerate a major Mideast war as a way to distract the U.S. and NATO from the Ukraine atrocities. There's also this precarious uh, dynamic right now where Russia, China, and Iran have already aligned against the West, if not militarily, at least on the strategic propaganda front vis-a-vis the Ukraine war, and also with regard to Beijing's claims of sovereignty over the U.S.-backed island uh, democracy of Taiwan. So where does all of this lead? And that's that's what I'm questioning in, in my article uh, out today. Boy, and you know, you, you referenced Hezbollah. Uh, that's a group that has more weapons and better weapons than Hamas, if I understand correctly. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think you, you could be looking at an escalation uh, where there are long-range ballistic missiles being fired into Israel, and the Israeli military uh, feels compelled to bomb not only Hezbollah, but possibly carry out uh, uh, major strikes inside Iran. So, you know, this is the seriousness with which the Pentagon is viewing the situation and why the U.S. sent an aircraft carrier group into the eastern Mediterranean and surrounded that deployment with statements or warnings, both to Hezbollah and Iran. I think we're in a fluid situation. And like I said, we... I'm not here to fearmonger. I'm just telling you what the discussions behind the scenes are about how dangerous this moment is uh, and how a, a clash between Hamas and Israel at this time could potentially escalate and change the entire geopolitical landscape of the Middle East. Thanks, Guy. Guy Taylor, national security team leader at The Washington Times. 20 minutes after the hour on this morning, here's Jennifer Koshenka. And now, the three big things you need to know. Number one. Israel has told the U.N. to evacuate 1.1 million residents in North Gaza within 24 hours. The strongest sign yet, a ground offensive is imminent. A spokesperson for the U.N. Secretary General called such a move impossible. Meanwhile, Secretary of State Antony Blinken offered reassurances of ongoing U.S. support to Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu yesterday. I uh, came to Israel bearing a simple message. The United States stands with Israel and with its people. Today, tomorrow, every day. Blinken is expected to meet today with President Mahmoud Abbas of the Palestinian Authority. Number two. Steve Scalise has withdrawn from contention for House Speaker after clinching the Republican Party's nomination, but failing to win over a stubborn block of critics who stood between him and the gavel. It's much bigger than me, and it's much bigger than anybody else, and nobody's going to use me as an excuse to hold back our ability to get the House opened again. We still need to get a Speaker. Scalise, the House Majority Leader, won the party's Speaker nomination Wednesday over Jim Jordan of Ohio in a 113 to 99 vote, a margin that did little to convince many Jordan supporters to unify behind Scalise. Number three. Democratic Senator Bob Menendez of New Jersey has been indicted on a new charge of conspiring to act as an illegal foreign agent of Egypt. Adding a new criminal count to the bribery case he already faces. The new indictment charges the lawmaker, his wife, and a New Jersey businessman with working to promote the interests of Cairo, including in its efforts to obtain hundreds of millions of dollars in U.S. aid. Menendez has vowed not to resign despite calls from members of his own party that he stepped down. 
A Colorado police officer has been convicted of criminally negligent homicide in the death of Elijah McCain, an unarmed 23-year-old black man who died in police custody in 2019 after being stopped on his way home from a convenience store. Randy Redima, who is suspended from the Aurora Police Department, was also convicted of assault in the third degree. One obvious reason we want to work from home? Well, it saves money. A new survey from video conferencing company Owl Lab says 66% of employees who return to the office to work five days a week spend an average of $51 every workday on commuting, parking, food, and for some, pet care. Ooh, Ooh 51 bucks a day? That's a lot. <laughs> Man. Thank you, Jen. Did you know traditional bed sheets harbor as much bacteria as a toilet seat? The germs in your sheets can cause acne, allergies, stuffy noses, and other gross ailments. Fears, though, that you can put to bed with Miracle Made bed sheets. Miracle Made uses silver infused fabrics inspired by NASA that are thermal regulating to keep you at a perfect temperature all night. Miracle Made is self cleaning, self cooling, luxurious, eco friendly bedding designed to protect your skin for more restorative rest. My wife and I love them. Now, my listeners can have a clean night's sleep while saving over 40% and sleep cool all summer and warm all winter. The website, trymiracle.com slash Gordon. Claim your free three-piece towel set and save over 40% at checkout. Miracle-made products are backed with a 30-day money-back guarantee. Again, the website, trymiracle.com slash Gordon. Trymiracle.com slash Gordon to save big. You can sleep cool, comfy, and clean. Miracle-made bedding, NASA-inspired for out-of-this-world comfort. Sleep clean with Miracle. Thanks for being with us. Paris is gearing up for an influx of visitors during the 2024 Summer Olympics, and travelers may have trouble finding an affordable hotel. They also may be hearing about a bed bug problem in Paris. More from Nathan Diller, consumer travel reporter at USA Today. Nathan, give us insight. Yeah, you know, I mean, people are already excited about it, and, and hotels are definitely booking up. The city is expecting a big influx of visitors for the Olympics and the Paralympics shortly after that. So, um, in some cases, according to Hotels.com, you're seeing hotels in the city that are as high as $1,000 a night. Uh, but travelers can also find some less expensive lodging. Some is averaging around 500 to $600 per night. So it, it definitely benefits you to kind of look around. Does that kind of depend on what type of hotel you choose, whether you spend 500 versus or uh, versus 1000 bucks? I think so, yeah. yeah. I think, you know, a, a, a five-star hotel may, may definitely be more than a three-star or something like that. So, um if you can be flexible, that's also helpful. What about an Airbnb? Can you save a few bucks that way, or are they through the roof also? You know, uh, they don't have exact data yet. Um, you know, at nightly rates in Paris during the games, as of uh, when we published the story, were averaging uh, close to $1,000 a night, around $888 a night for two adults. Uh, but that may vary and change as it gets closer. I'm sure that, um, you know, more inventory may go up as people see an opportunity to maybe make a few extra bucks yeah. during the game. So that might bring some prices down for Airbnbs as well. But uh, definitely helpful to keep an eye on that. Save a few bucks. Stay in Switzerland. Take a four-and-a-half-hour train ride to uh, to Paris, maybe. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah, why not? You get to see both places. Yeah, well, this is good old supply and demand, right? I mean, nobody's giving away hotels during the Olympics. 
No, no. It's. Uh, I think you can always expect a, a little bit pricier rooms during that time. We're speaking with Nathan Diller, consumer travel reporter at USA Today. His piece is called How Expensive Are Paris Hotels for the 2024 Olympics? That and there's like, what, tens of millions of, or maybe not tens of millions, but I think more than 10 million people going to Paris, right? And only a couple hundred thousand hotel rooms available. Yeah, yeah. Um, in the greater Paris area, there's um, just under 134,000 hotel rooms. So definitely a small number, you know, compared to the, the number of visitors. They're, they're anticipating 15.3 million visitors uh, between the, the Olympic Games in July and then the Paralympics, which uh, run through September. Touch on the bed bugs issue, because that, that seems to be a problem right now in Paris. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we're seeing a lot of talk about about bed bugs. People are nervous about what that means for their trips. Um, and the city and, and the country of France are trying to, you know, tamp down the problem. They have seen an uptick, but we heard from the tourist department that they're not seeing a meaningful uptick or, or problem in places that tourists would typically go. So in accommodations like hotels or restaurants, tourist sites. So I think you can, you know, rest assured they have been a problem. They will continue to be a problem. Uh, but it's not just Paris. It's, you know, uh, any hotel that you stay in, whether it's a five-star hotel or not, can have bed bugs. So it's just something to keep an eye out for no matter where you are. And, and uh, I don't think it means you need to cancel your trip. Nathan Diller, consumer travel reporter at USA Today. One thing we all have in common is a need to feed. If you're like me, you love to eat and want to eat right without much pre-planning and shopping. Enter HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. Kickstart a fresh fall with HelloFresh handling all the meal planning and shopping. They do the work, you take a bow. Plus, HelloFresh is more than just dinners. There's breakfast, quick lunches, fresh snacks, tasty, time-saving and delivered to your front door. HelloFresh's convenience, variety, and quality keep me eating right all day and night. Right now, save from the start. Go to HelloFresh.com slash 50Gordon and use code 50Gordon for 50% off plus 15% off the next two months. HelloFresh's menu offers 40 recipes and over 100 add-ons. Go to HelloFresh.com slash 50Gordon and use code 50Gordon for 50% off plus 15% off the next two months. Say goodbye to boring meal plans and HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. HelloFresh.com slash 50Gordon. Taking the day's information and helping you make sense of it all. We're here for you every morning. You're listening to America's First News. This morning with Gordon Deal. Thanks for spending time with us. Welcome into Friday October 13, Gordon Deal, Jennifer Koshenka. Some of our top stories and headlines. Israel warns civilians to leave North Gaza. Hamas is claiming that Israeli bombings have killed 13 hostages held by the group. Steve Scalise withdraws from the race to be House Speaker. The Social Security cost of living adjustment for next year will be 3.2%. Rudolph Isley, founding member of the R&B group The Isley Brothers, has died at 84. Chiefs over the Broncos in Thursday night football. Phillies dump the Braves and advance to the NLCS. And a history of the fear of Friday the 13th. That story in about 20 minutes. Across American colleges workplaces and halls of power. A a swift backlash is meeting those who denounce Israel in the wake of Hamas's deadly attack last weekend. Protesters and counter-protesters clashed on the quad, for example, at the University of North Carolina yesterday during a rally about the Israel-Hamas conflict. Insight from Doug Belkin, higher education reporter at the Wall Street Journal. Doug set this up. 
There are a lot of organizations on college campuses. This is a network that's been built over the past probably 15 years designed to marginalize Israel and support Palestinian organizations. So these groups were in place. Uh, they have, uh, you know, a structure and organization and communications capacity. And they came out very quickly when news reports started to show that, um, uh, you know, Hamas militants had attacked Israel and placed blame on Israel for laying the conditions that led to this attack. Uh, and this was met with a really stiff backlash by uh, Jewish organizations, supporters of Israel, and, and, and other folks not connected who, who were watching the violence play out in the Middle East and seeing all of these Israeli civilians uh, getting murdered. All right. Big spotlight on Harvard here. What happened there? So Harvard uh, entered the fray pretty quickly because there was a a letter signed by 34 student organizations, most of them um, uh, connected to uh, Islamic society or or others, um, that laid, again laid the blame on Israel and said that any bloodshed that was to follow was Israel's fault. And you know, this raised a lot of eyebrows very quickly. At the same time, the president of Harvard came out and said that essentially she was very upset that there was violence happening in the Middle East. And this prompted a lot of folks, Larry Summers first among them, the former president of Harvard, to come out and say it is, you know, there's a lack of moral clarity if the president of Harvard cannot condemn terrorism uh, and name the terrorists. And so this put a lot of pressure on her and began to, uh, and, and on Tuesday she came out and said that, of course, she condemns uh, the terrorist acts by Hamas. Oh, and what about the students who kind of signed on to that letter? So th they dealt with a tremendous amount of pressure and backlash. There was There's uh, Bill Ackerman, a very prominent hedge fund um, uh, leader, came out and said, I would like to see the names of the students who belong to these clubs to make sure that I never hire any of them. Um and the names of the student organizations began to disappear from that statement. And if you look at it now, there's, there are none. And they've mm. written a note that saying, you know, that we've pulled the names for, I think, for fear of danger wow. uh, to keep the students safe. So people are reacting to the pushback from folks who were, I think, very disgusted that they're blaming Israel in a moment when there are uh, about a thousand Israelis dead. We're speaking with Doug Belkin, higher education reporter at The Wall Street Journal. His story is called Blaming Israel for Hamas Attacks Sparks Backlash Across the U.S. Um, what about that law firm, too, Winston and, and Strawn? What happened there? So a young woman who I think is the president of the, um, uh, the NYU uh, uh, law uh, school group, um, who had been an associate at, that, uh, at Winston and Strawn, tweeted her support for um, the Palestinians and, again, laid the blame for the violence at the feet of the Israelis um, and sent this out publicly. And Winston and Strawn, in return, said, we don't support this and we have withdrawn a job offer that we had made to her, uh, made to the student. And so, um, you know, she's, she's lost that opportunity. Wow. What about the, the, the rift among Democrats inside the party? Right. So, you know, part of the, the situation within the Democratic Party is that there's a lot of criticism of Israel, which has moved to the right over the years. And there's a lot of concern for the situation among the Palestinians there. And um, AOC, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, has um, 
you know, been pretty, pretty prominent voice in, in criticizing Israel. There was a rally in Times Square on Sunday uh, that had a lot of anti-Semitic elements involved in it. There was some swastikas shown and this sort of thing. And so uh, because she was connected with the socialist group that had helped or that, I think that, had, that had helped to um, uh, publicize the rally, disavowed what was happening the Tuesday. So it took a couple of days, but the pressure um, that she was feeling finally, you know, ended up with her speaking out against it. Thanks, Doug. Doug Belkin, higher education reporter at the Wall Street Journal. By the way, the Hartford Crimson reported that a truck was spotted being driven through campus Wednesday featuring a digital billboard claiming to show faces and names of students associated with that letter blaming Israel for the Hamas attacks. Thanks for spending time with us on this Friday. This portion of the program is brought to you by Indeed. You need to hire? Indeed is with you every step of the way, helping you attract, interview, and hire candidates all from one place. Visit indeed.com credit. Does the noise-canceling technology in millions of headphones and earbuds save us from annoying distractions, or does it close us off from the world? Cordelia James, tech reporter at The Wall Street Journal, has been looking into it. Cordelia, what did you come up with? So, yeah, like I was just looking at how popular noise-canceling headphones are. They've been around for so long, and they're only growing in popularity, especially as they're just so convenient. Stick these buds in your ears. You can, you know, just block out surrounding noise. But it's that... When we block out um, just ambient noise so much, um, we, one, put ourselves in dangerous situations sometimes by limiting auditory cues, as well as uh, it kind of takes away from different spontaneous moments that we might have in our social interactions. What kind of auditory cues? So things such as, like, you know, if you're hearing a car coming or if you're just, um, you know, maybe someone is like talking nearby and you need that person's attention um you know if you miss out on hearing some of those noises that could lead to some um in some cases some accidents or just like other ways to put you in harm's way Mm. i mean it does sort of say um i'm not available for speaking with you right now right (laughs) when you have those things on yeah exactly and so that can really limit you especially in in the workplace even and so this is something that um i myself kind of have have dealt with if i have like my headphones in you know no one wants to necessarily bother me but when i have those um this noise canceling enabled i'm also unable to hear all the kinds of conversations ideas things that are being exchanged in the office that could end up propelling me in my career if i were to engage with that a little bit more oh you know it's it's funny because you said noise canceling headphones like, do people just have them on without any music or anything coming out of them? So sometimes, um, yeah, you don't necessarily always have to have music coming out of them to still um, limit some of the noise that is going on around you. Hmm. But it, it works either way. Like, you, you know, people do turn it on in order to better focus on whatever it is that they're playing. Um, or sometimes it can just be relaxing to just, like, quiet it down. It depends on the kinds of um, noise-canceling headphones that you have. I didn't consider that. We're speaking with Cordelia James, personal technology reporter at the Wall Street Journal. Her story is called, Do We Need to Wear Noise-Canceling Headphones and Earbuds This Much? All right, you talked to this guy uh, in your story, this Oscar Acevedo, 25 years old. I think he's uh, from San Francisco. What, what does he say about this? Yeah, so he told me a little bit about how when he's, on, when he's traveling, 
um, he likes to make sure that he doesn't have his headphones on for a little bit for multiple reasons, you know, like you want to make sure that you're hearing the safety um, discussion before the flight. You don't want, like, it can feel really uncomfortable when your ears um, pop as you're going to the air or whatever. All right, thanks, Cordelia. Cordelia James, tech reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Bring smiles to all when shopping online with Dell Technologies Gift Guide. Whether it's for the artist, the entrepreneur, the student, or the streamer, you'll find the perfect gift. Dell.com slash gift guide makes gifting easy with a carefully curated selection. Shop now to explore our innovative PCs like the X. PS 13 laptop powered by the latest Intel Core processors plus accessories. Visit dell.com slash gift guide today. That's dell.com slash gift guide. Hey, thanks for spending time with us. Nine minutes now in front of the hour on this morning. Once again, here's Jennifer Koshenka. And now, the three big things you need to know. Number one. Israel's military has asked civilians in Gaza to move to the southern port of the enclave, signaling a widening offensive and prompting the U.N. to warn of devastating humanitarian consequences. Israel's military asked the U.N. to evacuate its staff and 1.1 million civilians to the southern part of Gaza in the next 24 hours. The U.N. called on Israel to rescind that order, saying it could transform an already tragic situation into a catastrophe. Israeli Admiral Daniel Hagari vowed vengeance for the Israelis killed. We will find each and every one that did this massacre in Gaza, and we will come to him and he will pay the price. Secretary of State Antony Blinken urged Israel to avoid civilian casualties amid growing fears of a wider regional conflict. Number two. The U.S. has reached an understanding with Qatar not to release any of the $6 billion in Iranian oil revenue that was unfrozen as part of the prisoner swap last month. Secretary of State Antony Blinken says Iran has long supported Hamas, but no evidence has been found to link the surprise attacks to Tehran. To date, not a single dollar has been expended from that account, and we retain the right to freeze it. The Biden administration has said the money could only be used to fund Iran's purchases of humanitarian goods. Number three. A Philadelphia police officer was shot and killed, and a second officer was wounded last night when they confronted people breaking into a car at Philadelphia International Airport. Philadelphia Interim Police Commissioner John Stanford. There are multiple suspects that were involved in this situation, so um, still trying to get some additional information on those other individuals that were involved so we can get that information out as quickly as we possibly can. A person who was brought to a hospital privately and died there may have been involved in the shooting, but investigators have not confirmed that. The story of the cruise rescue was known, but where the ship sank wasn't until recently. The Urantan that sank to the bottom of Lake Superior 100 years ago has been discovered by the Great Lakes Shipwreck Historical Society. On October 11, 1923, two freighters collided amid heavy fog and forest fire smoke, sending the Urantan 800 feet to the bottom of the lake. The swift actions of one of the ship's captains saved the sinking vessel's crew. Lake Superior keeps secrets. Yes, right? for sure. There's a lot going on there. Thank you, Jen. Thanks for being with us. If Friday the 13th is an unlucky day for you, today is not your day. But why does it have a bad rap? Michael Bailey, history professor at Iowa State University who specializes in the origins of superstitions, tells USA Today that it was on a Friday that Jesus was crucified. And ever since, the day has been associated with a general ill omen. Stuart Weiss, psychology professor at Connecticut College, says Friday was also unlucky in medieval times because it was a hangman's day. 
He also says the number 13 was associated with bad luck since it's believed that Judas Iscariot, the disciple who betrayed Jesus, was the 13th person to attend the Last Supper. The two professors say there are no references to Friday the 13th until the 19th century. Meanwhile, you could be suffering from triskaidekaphobia, the fear of the number 13. But if number 13 doesn't frighten you unless it's on Friday, you may be more at risk of a condition frequently referred to as paraskevadekatriophobia, which is the fear of Friday the 13th itself. USA Today says, thankfully, Friday the 13th doesn't happen all too often. The majority of years, like 2023, we have two Friday the 13th, but occasionally there's just one in a month. Three of the unfortunate days occur in particularly unlucky years, such as 2026. That'll do it for this hour. For Jennifer Koshenka, I'm Gordon Deal. Thanks for listening to This Morning, America's First News.